what a great text to look at um, as we start on the, the series of the Gospel of John. What a fantastic text. So much to go through, um, but we're excited to start the series and uh, please journey with us. If you're at home this morning, and well, obviously you're home, if you're home, then, then uh, grab your Bible and we're going to go through a lot of text, uh, but you'd need to have your Bible with you so you can make notes and you can reference things as we go. Thanks for joining us this morning. And uh, so really, I just want to just start by saying, you know, when someone has a, uh, does a lot of things reg- regularly and, they, and they, well, they've got a persona about them, generally you give them a nickname, don't you? And that nickname personifies really what they're about and what they keep doing. And so you give them that nickname. Well, it's the same with our Lord in a way, not quite a nickname, but the names in the Bible of what tell us more about who Jesus is is important because as we learn about the names and the things that, that, that Jesus is called and the words and the amazing character qualities that Jesus is called, then we get to fully understand who more of Jesus is. For example, if people only have a view of Jesus is a friend to sinners, which he certainly is, but if he's a friend of sinners only, then you'll find it very hard to understand that at Judgment Day that Jesus or God will in that time, send people to hell who do not know him personally. And because Jesus and God is also uh, a righteous judge, not only a friend to sinners, but he's also a righteous judge. In fact, when you are saved, we essentially are saved from God himself on Judgment Day. That's who we save from. And so those are just two. And so today we're going to be looking at three or arguably four of these character qualities, these names, if you like, of Jesus. And through Amongst other things that we're going to discover in the series of John, one thing we're going to look at is also the many names of which we can call our Lord. And that tells us who more, more of who he is. And really, it should change our lives because the more we understand who God is, it should affect our lives. And so that's interesting. So before we get into the text and get into the study this morning, just pray with me from wherever you are. Let's pray. Lord, we, we do thank you for this amazing gospel that is going to tell us so much about who you are. And Lord, I ask that you would help us as we understand and embark on this truth in the gospel of John, that you will change our hearts, that you will change our minds and align us under your sovereign power and your sovereign will, and really that we can align ourselves to who you are. Lord, I pray for everyone at home right now, I pray for whatever they're going through, that you would encourage them with these words, that you would, as they read through the scriptures in the laps, that they would be encouraged from your truth. So we pray for this time. We pray that you'd bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to start off, just an example is because we're going to be getting through a lot of the texts. we're going to go through a lot of the original text, three Greek words and a Hebrew word. And you might ask me, why? Why do we do that? Well, if I explain to you this pulpit, if you can see this pulpit, I might say to you that this is a very cool pulpit. And you might now, you might have a, at least an inclination of what I'm saying. What I'm saying in today's language is this is a very nice pulpit. It's very practical. Maybe it's got modern colors. Okay, this one doesn't, but maybe it does. Or maybe it's got some good functions, like a, a, a table at the back here. And so when I say it's a cool pulpit, you understand exactly what I mean by saying it's a cool pulpit. Well, 
if I had to write this down on a piece of paper that the pulpit was cool and put it in, in the ground and, and buried it, and 500 years later, if the world hadn't been ended by then, they dig up this piece of paper and they see this thing that says it's a cool pulpit, you might then, or they might then conclude, well, hang on, maybe the pulpit was made out of ice. Or, or maybe it was very cold during those times in the, in the 2021s. It was very cold. Uh, it must have been cold. Why weren't they wearing jackets? And so they have no idea. So part of going back to the original text is to understand in that time what the words meant so that we can understand it in 2021. And that's the reason why we go back to the original text. So let's do so and open in your Bibles if you haven't already. And thanks to Steve who read that text. Uh, it's a long text and we'll get stuck into it. So in the beginning was the word. It says in the beginning. Um, it starts off with if in the beginning. And it's important that we um, just go to the right slide there. It's not going. Let's have a look. Here we go. Thanks, guys. In the beginning. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So in the beginning, what, what are we talking about in the beginning? In the beginning of what? Well, in the beginning of time as we and you and I know it right now. It's, uh, it's before time began in the beginning, and we're told that the Word was. So th th that speaks about Christ's eternal nature. His, his eternal nature, he's outside of time. In fact, if we look at John 17, verse 5, it says that, And now, Father, when Jesus is praying his priestly prayer, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Interesting. In verse 24 of the same chapter, it says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. At a, at a recent uh, family Bible study, we, we, we covered this text as well. We covered similar text as well. And we said that sometimes in general, humans just don't get it, that God was before time because we're in time and we're bound to time because we're in God's creation. But really, in the beginning, God is outside of time and so really, he looked at, looks at all time as if it's the same time. I explain it like this, like this deck of cards on your screen. So each of those, each of those cards represent a, t a period of time, however much time. But God is outside of that. He creates a time. He is the author of time. And so he looks at the all of time, eternity past and eternity future, as if it's happening at the same time. He's the only one who can do that. So he can see the beginning of time. He can see exactly where we are right now, and he can see the future at once. He's God. He's not part of his, his creation. He's outside of it, and so he can see it all. So why do I mention this? Why is it important to, to take this in? Well, understand this, is that if God knows tomorrow as if for him it was now, why be anxious about tomorrow? Because the one whom we know is already there. That's why we, when, when we read in Revelation of the end times and what's going to happen, we, we in ourselves have to still experience that. It's still to come. But to God, it's already happened. And that's why our God is sovereign. And that's why when God talk, we learn about God as a God who is predestined us into good works. 
we, we know that God knows the good works we are going to perform because he sees it immediately. Isn't that amazing? So the word, the Greek word, the first word we're going to look at is the word, which is logos. The word translated there is logos. It's a Greek word, and it means many things. One thing I must also say is that Scripture is connected. You will see Scripture connected all over the place. You'll study one section, and you'll study another part in Scripture, and you'll notice that it's connected. And so, so an analogy there is, is if you look on the screen there, it's 3 times 10. We, my math maybe isn't as great as, as some people, but 3 times 10 is 30. That's easy to understand. But if you switch it around, 10 times 3 is 30 as well. How about 30 if you divide it by 10 is 3, and 30 divided by 3 is 10. And so just by looking at different ways, you see the same numbers come up by using their different attributes differently. On the same way, Scripture is connected. Remember that as we go through this morning's study, because it will come up again and again. But the word logos is important. Now, to explain the logos in a very quick way, what I'd like to do is show you in, in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 14, it says, To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ is, this, is the topic, is the, is the person in this text. And listen to what it says in verse 15 of 1 Timothy, verse 14 and 15. It says, Which he will display at the proper time, who he, he, sorry, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So talking about Jesus Christ, in Timothy, it's written that he, the Jesus Christ, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Remember, I said Scripture is connected. If you look at Revelation, if you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19 from, from verse 13 says, He is clothed in, in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which, but, but, uh, sorry, and the name by which is called, it's called the Word of God. There's that word again, Logos, the Word of God. So who is he talking about in verse 14? And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horses, on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule with them, with them a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So really what it is, is we have Logos there, and we, we have in Timothy saying that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. In Revelation, we have the Word of God, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so they connected. So the person we're speaking about in verse 1 of chapter 1 of, of the Gospel of John is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is Jesus Christ, is Logos. That's who we speak of. In fact, in, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, there, there's a, a Hebrew word called Davar. Davar, and, and that's the equivalent in the Old Testament of the word Logos, Davar. And it's used 394 times in the Old Testament. And it used to refer about communication that comes from God. 
when, when I speak to you, it's almost as if, if, if I'm giving you logos, I'm speaking to you, in, in, at least in the sense of the biblical sense, that's the case. In Psalm 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So here it says that by the word, by davar, the same word, which is the same word likened to logos in the New Testament, God spoke the world into existence. Interesting. And back in our text in, uh, in John 1 verse 3, of course, that says the same, that the world was made through him. But logos also has a, logos or davar also has another meaning. In Jeremiah 32 verse 8, it says, Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the God, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So, in the New Testament, we see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is Logos. We see that, that it is Jesus. We see that it is God. In the Old Testament, we see that it's an act of speaking by which the creation was made by which the world came into being, by God speaking, Logos. And then here we see in Jeremiah, it's the, how God was given instruction to, uh, to the people. So we have many things already just in the first word of Logos. We understand that, uh, that it's the, the person of Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, it's instruction, and also the last thing, is that it reveals his mind to the world, God's mind. It reveals God's mind to the world. In, uh, in Matthew 11, verse 27, it says in the latter part of verse 27, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. How do you know God? If you know God today, how did you know God? Because of one thing happened, because Jesus chose to reveal his Father to you. Isn't that an amazing miracle? You know God today because Jesus revealed God, him, the God the Father to you. And that's the only reason why you know him. So that's the word logos, is the Son, Jesus Christ, who has revealed uh, his Father to us. So the logos is a very rich word, and it goes through that. Well, the next part of the text says, and the word was with God. This logos was with God. We see a very glimpse. We don't have time to go into it. We see the first glimpse of the Trinity. We have God the Father. We have Jesus, God the Son. And we have the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost in some old text as, this, as it's mentioned before. John 17 verse 5 says, And now, Father, glorify in your Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you, before the world existed. Proving that Jesus is separated from, from God the Father. Yet, in the text here, we says, and the word was God. That's the next sentence. The word was God. So the question you might have now is, is Jesus the Son, God the Son, or is Jesus God? Which one is it, Wesley? Well, the answer to both those questions is yes. 
See, Jesus is the Son, but he is God as well. And so in the first two verses of John chapter 1, we told this and we see this as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Therefore, as eating the food to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So God is one. He's one in the Father, he's one in the Son, and he's one in the Holy Spirit. But perhaps more about that in another study of the Holy Spirit, God the Father and the Son in the Trinity. In verse 2, he goes on and says, He was in the beginning with God. Really, he just reiterates what we've discussed already in verse 2. But let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So again, just reiterating that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from Logos, nothing was made. And we told in verse 4, in verse 4, that in him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what is the origin of life? You may have people ask, or evolutionists might have these programs on TV you may have seen. What is the origin of life? Well, we know it from the pages of Scripture. It's quite clear. The origin of life is God, is Logos. It's Jesus. It's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the origin of life. In um, Acts chapter 3, it says uh, in verse 14, when, when Peter was addressing the people, he said, But you denied the Holy Spirit, sorry, you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. He's saying, You guys killed the author of life, the very one that created what everything's around you and yourself. You killed the author of life. And there's another uh, character quality of God. In 1 John 5 verse 11, uh, we see, it says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is the Son, in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Does that mean that people he was talking to were, were dead? No, they were alive in flesh. What is he talking about? He's speaking about not life to the creation. He's talking specifically life in an internal sense, in a spiritual sense. So we'll come in a moment. So we see now that God is life. Sorry, we see that God is the word, his logos. He is life. He is also the light. God is the light. We spoke about it two weeks ago, so I won't go into big detail on this. But in John 8, verse 12, we know it very well, don't we? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In verse 6, we go on in the text. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, i ask you a question now. What is your purpose in life? Have you ever pondered that thought? I'm sure you have. But right now, what is your purpose in life? Have you ever understood what you're here for? Well, John the Baptist had a purpose. It wasn't to roam the wilderness. His purpose was to bear witness for 
the Christ that was to come. And we see it happening right here. But you say, oh, where's, you know, that's John the Baptist. You know, he was lucky to have the, the responsibility to, to point the way to Jesus in person. But actually, you and I have that exact same responsibility right now in the year 2021. You see, you and I also bear witness to Christ when we share with each other. You and I also bear witness when we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to our friends and families and people around us. So just the same responsibility that John the Baptist had, you and I have that today. In fact, we have a bigger responsibility because the world is really dark. And people, even though the Christ had come, has come, and he's with us today, the people reject him. And that's what it says at the end of that text. It says in verse 10, And he was, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. When you share the gospel with everyone, you and I know, both know that not, not everyone receives the gospel in the way that we want them to. In fact, Isaiah 53 says that he was despised and rejected, talking about Christ. We too will be despised and rejected when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Expect it. It will happen. But be, be encouraged that when it happens, that you are in the right place, that you are doing your purpose for life in this world. Verse 12 goes on. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, literally you're adopted into God's family. In Ephesians 1, it says that. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. When, when my, uh, my, my dad passed away, he had a will. And myself and, I, and my siblings received the inheritance from my dad, the things that he'd left behind. Um, and that was our inheritance. But as sons and daughters of God, we were adopted into God's family. Understand that as the text says in Ephesians 1, we who have faith in Christ have obtained an inheritance. Isn't that a great thing? that our inheritance is already secure if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. In fact, there's a saying that you might have heard, and it says, uh, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. I don't know if you heard that before. And really what it means is we're all born into the world physically, and we're all born once. But only those who come to faith in Jesus Christ will be born a second time, be born spiritually, into the family of God, adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. But for those who are only born once, who are only born once physically in the world, and never come to that second birth of being birthed into the kingdom of God, they will die twice. And they will die twice because one day when they come to judgment day, they will not be in the family of God. They will not be have the, have the adoption. And they will die a second time spiritually when they are forever, eternally separated from God. And that will be a terrible thing. And so if you here this morning are listening to this, and you've never come to that point of having full faith 
in Christ for salvation, you too will have that second death. Unless you come to faith in Christ, and then you will only die once on this earth. You will not die a second time spiritually, because you will be with God forever. We go on. In verse 29 of our text, it says, um, in verse 29 of our text, it's an amazing text. The next day, we, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, look, cast your eyes on all those words, depending on what version you're looking at. But the ESV says so nicely, Behold. And I want you just to imagine it for where you are right now. If you want, close your eyes and just picture it. You have John the Baptist and there's people all around him, hundreds of people around him being baptized, not a baptism after salvation, but baptizing in repentance of sin as John was doing. And the people on the banks of the water where he was baptizing, people talking, kids running around, dust in the air, water, maybe people clapping. And just try and imagine that for yourself. And then, and then he stops. And he doesn't just look himself. You can imagine him saying to everyone, look, have a look. Behold. And everyone looks. And the, the attention is drawn to the one person who's coming. And he sees Jesus coming. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All, the, all he was living for was that, 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 that moment, that was a pinnacle of his life, it was of John the Baptist. It is what he was there for. The purpose was to point to Jesus Christ. And you can imagine everyone stopping and looking and going, this is the Savior. And talking to Jews around him, they would have known exactly what he meant when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. We'll speak about that in a moment. Why the Lamb of God? Why was that so important to the Jews? Well, if you look in Exodus, um, Exodus 29, verse 38, it says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year, two lambs a year, year old, day by day, regularly. As you know, they had to do a, in the morning, they had to slay a lamb, and in the evening, and the lamb had to be without blemish, as you know. Had to be without blemish, a perfect lamb, as such. Yeah, Jesus was coming, a perfect lamb without blemish. And, and, and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. In Revelation chapter 5, if you turn there with me, beautiful text. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. It says, And behold, the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw, a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood and ransomed people for God from every tribe 
and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And in verse 11, Then I looked, and I saw around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads of thousands and thousands. Can you imagine that? In verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What amazing text. This is the Lamb that the Israelites were waiting for. The Jews were waiting for this Lamb. And John says, Behold, friends, the Lamb of God. There he is. This is the one of whom we speak about in the Old Testament. In Revelation chapter 7, two chapters after that, in, from verse 9, talks again about the multitude um, and from every nation. And in verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And in verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor, the power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What an amazing text. Friends, this is the Lamb of God that John is talking about, the one who will sit on the throne one day. You remember in Genesis chapter 27, and we won't read it, but when um, uh, Isaac was to, be, to, to go through the whole sacrifice, and he was being put on, and, uh, and he said to his father, well, where, where is the lamb? And is about to kill, kill his son, and, and then the, the, there was a ram, wasn't there? And the ram was the replacement. So all I want to say is that God always provides the lamb. He is the Lamb. And again, this morning, if you don't know God, you can come to faith in Him if God draws you, and you can know the Lamb of God. What's important that it says is that not only is the Lamb of God, but He takes away. And this is another word we want to look at. The Hebrew word, um, sorry, the, the, uh, the Greek word, ha-aron, ha-aron. It's a beautiful word. And why it's beautiful is that it's a verb, first of all. It's in the present tense, but it's an active participle. You go, what does that mean, Wesley? Well, let me explain. It means that he, it means to raise up, to lift up, to take away and remove. But because it's in the present tense and because it's an active participle, it means that it is ongoing. Now, there's two things that this tells us. Firstly, it tells us that Jesus is constantly in the process of taking away the sins of the world. It could be people today coming to faith in Christ today, and God is continually meeting their needs by taking away their sins. But the second thing is, is that many people battle with, with this topic, and they say, well, if I came to Christ some years ago, and I look at my life, and I'm still battling with sin. Do I have to be born again and again and again? No, you only get, you get born once. So how does that work? Remember, it's a verb. It's present and it's an active participle. The Lamb of God who takes away, it doesn't say who took away, it says who takes away the sin of the world. 
So if you are ongoing battling with sin regularly, but you're defeating sin on a regular basis, but even though there's more sin coming into your life, but you're working through it as it comes, Jesus is saying, I've paid for your sin, past, present, and future. I'm taking it away. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all our sins, for those who have come to know him, past, present, and future. Yes, we need to seek God's forgiveness for God. Yes, you need to repent when, when you, when you uh, sin. We have to do that. That's important. But in terms of salvation, it's paid once and once for all. Hebrews 10 um, says in verse 10, And by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of, of Jesus Christ once for all. In verse 11 of Hebrews, or sorry, in verse 12, it says, when, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so if you're battling with sin, you need to go to God and you need to ask God to give you the strength. Read the scriptures, ask people to pray with you, but go to God in repentance. But understand this, that if those ongoing sins are already paid for in terms of salvation. When you stand before God one day, he's going to say, it's paid. Jesus Christ has paid for your sin. What an amazing grace that God has given us. The next Greek word we're going to look at is the word cosmos. It's where he says, takes away the sin of the world. Cosmos refers to many things, but the one thing it refers to is the, the whole world, the place where we live. The, the aura, the, the, the presence of where we live and, and have our life in the earth. So the question is then, so does this mean that Jesus dies for everyone? Everyone? Well, the answer is no. It can't be. Because in Matthew 7, in, in Matthew 7, verse 13, it says, if it was the whole world, then it would, it would contradict basically. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. So it's clear that not everyone is saved. It's very sad that you hear in funerals very often that you come across and, the, and whether the person did know Christ or not, they say, well, he's in a better place right now. He's in heaven. And many times people will say, oh, I want to go back. You know, I can't wait to be with my spouse or, or my father or my mother in heaven. Now, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to make a mockery of those people who have gone before. And I don't want to, someone has experienced a death in the family recently, I don't want to cause any pain or any, any uh, hurt by, by this comment. But understand this, that unless you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will not be in heaven. And when it says, takes away the sin of the world, he means those who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. What it means is those who will come to know him. And it's, there's no one who, who cannot come to faith in Jesus Christ if they come to him in faith. In verse 34, in verse 34, it says, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John says, I've seen with my eyes, I've lived with him, I've experienced him, and friends, this is the Son of God. This is he. 
So this morning, we've seen that Jesus is the word. He's the logos. We've seen that Jesus is the life, the author of life, the, the author of creation of all things. He is eternal and he knows all things, past, present and future, as if it happens now. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and all those who have faith in him. As a result, you and I can be adopted into God's family as brothers and sisters in Christ, being sons and daughters of God the Father, and all this by God's grace. So where did this leave you this morning? If you're a believer this morning, I want to ask you to understand and to really meditate on the fact that God is the awesome creator of the world. He is the Logos. He is the God. He is with God. He is the life. He is the light. And he is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Understand that you have no hope apart from Christ. And you need to live in his life centrally every day. And again, I ask you that if you're not in Christ this morning, that you too can come to know him. And as we embark on this journey of, of uh, the Gospel of John, you're going to see more about what Jesus had done, the miracles he did, and how he came as the Lamb of God to be sacrificed so that you and I can know him personally. What an amazing privilege to know the God, the Father, and the Creator of the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we stand in awe of who you are as a person. We stand in awe of what you've done. The author, of, the author of life, the creator of the world, the God of all and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet you stooped down and came to earth to be fully God and fully man at the same time. To choose to die on the cross for a once-off sacrifice as the lamb, the lamb that was slain, and Lord, you didn't have to do that, but you chose to, to give us a chance. And Lord, we pray for those this morning as listening in. Uh, I prayed, Lord, that you would make this truth and these truths so much clearer. Help us to change our lives and to align ourselves under it. And to understand that you are the author of creation and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Make this real in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.